On today's episode, we'll interview authors Ray and Charlene Notgrass about growing up in the 1950s and 1960s and how their experiences led them to homeschool their own children uh, and also share their love of history with homeschoolers around the world through their curriculum. Welcome to Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. I'm Titus Anderson. My role on this show is usually sitting in the producer's booth as I uh, work on the recording and editing of these episodes, but I've, I've stepped today into the role of uh, host for an interview with authors Ray and Charlene Notgrass. Thank you all for sitting down with me today and taking a few minutes to answer some questions. I appreciate your time, and I think the things that we talk about will be beneficial for our listeners, so thank you very much. Thank you, Titus. Thank you for doing this. Yes, Titus, thank you. So to start on a light note, uh, you guys have both shared some great stories about your childhood and growing up during this time. And uh, often you hear people talking about uh, they just don't make things like they used to. So what are some things particularly from your guys' childhood that that you miss or you think, well, man, I, they just don't have that anymore. Kids really miss out on these experiences. So anything you can think of, anything fun, any games that you played or um, things that just were, were particularly formative that, that were maybe light, but, but still kids are missing out these days by not having this. We had board games. <clears throat> we didn't have anything electronic. Um, so we, we had a real participatory experience when we would sit down to play a game with uh, uh, family members or friends. We didn't have so many choices. As I said, um, I only remember my brother and me having one record, but we didn't tire of listening to it again and again. Our activities were very simple. I, my playtime, uh, besides making mud pies, I would uh, make doll clothes, very, very simple doll clothes, just with a pair of scissors and some felt. We spent a lot of time playing outside. We, um, We'd play kickball with the steps of our back porch being home base and just little, uh, you know, whatever that we did use to mark the spots. It was very safe for me. I lived downtown between a church, a school, and a grocery store, and as a young child, mother would send me to the dime store, and I could just, you know, walk up there completely safe. Everybody in the store knew me. It was a, you, you know, this expression is used so often, but it really was a simpler time in a lot of ways. Not in every way, because, you know, we did have the threat of nuclear war. We had... Uh, we caught the childhood diseases. I don't know how many different kinds of measles I had as a child. It would be this year you had the red measles, and next year you had the three-day measles. And uh, So it wasn't like it was not idyllic, but it does seem like it was simpler. 
I think something that I didn't realize at the time was the security that home and family gave me. And I feel sure it was the same with Charlene. Um, we, we could count on that. Uh, our evenings were usually at home. When we went somewhere, went to my brother's sporting events or went shopping in Nashville or something, we would do it as a family. But I knew that my family was always there. And that's what I grew up with. And I feel like that is too often missing today, that families are on the go. They um, go in various directions. And I think there is some security in a family being able to count on being there for each other. I'm so glad you brought that up, Ray. Families were stable. I knew three people who were divorced um, in my childhood. And uh, one of them had been married before he married um, my relative, and then they had four children. And then um, I there was a girl in my class whose parents were divorced, and my grandfather uh, owned a half block in Ashland City, which included his grocery store, but there were at least an apartment or two above the other building on that half block, and somebody lived there who was divorced. And that's it. I did not know anybody else. And that is a drastic change from today. Yeah. That, that change is interesting. It kind of leads into my next question. You know, you spent your formative years in the 50s and 60s as children, and, and you all have lived and grown in every subsequent decade after that. So it's not as if you're locked into the 50s and 60s. At the same time, as we come to the world as it is in the 2020s today, um, you, you've already spoken to some of the differences, but how um, drastic are the changes that you see? As you look at the world as it is now and you think about the world back then, obviously there are there are things that are similar and, and in some ways people don't change. Um, but just how different a world do we find ourselves in now to that world back then? Well, of course, we have the same sins and failings and the same strength of character that we see in people. But I think in a lot of the externals and a lot of the ways we live, um, things are quite different. And, of course, what we have to do is be grateful for what we have. But um, I was 10 years old before there was a live television broadcast from England to the United States. And now the you know international broadcasting is, is commonplace. Charlene has talked about growing up in her very earliest years in a home that did not have indoor plumbing. It's hard to imagine that today. We, we seem to have a great dependence on electricity and electronics and uh, the availability of media and information. When we wanted to know something, we didn't go to Google. 
If we had a set of encyclopedias at home, we'd look it up there, or we'd go to the county library and see if we could dig it out of one of the books there. Um, so we have a lot more access to information. A lot of that is good, but some of that information that we uh, are exposed to is not so good. I'd like to say that there are things that have not changed, and that is the absolutes that God teaches in his word. That that hasn't changed. Now, perhaps people's reaction to that, well, not perhaps, <laughs> a lot of people's reaction to that has changed, but God has not changed, and neither has his will for people and for families and for children. That hasn't changed, and we need to be sure we don't believe the lie that that has changed because it isn't true. I think you all have struck a a good balance in uh, both uh, of your descriptions of growing up in the the 50s and 60s um, of not painting this utopian, idyllic picture that things were perfect, uh, but also bringing out the strengths of it. So as you all transitioned into adulthood and started a family of your own, had children, um, was there any part of your decision as you moved towards homeschooling uh, to want to retrieve some of that security and closeness for your children that you saw maybe slipping away for the majority of, of children as time moved forward and progressed through the decades? My mother told me when I was a child that the reason she took in sewing, became a seamstress at home, was so she could be with us. She said, I could get a job in a factory. We had a boot factory in Ashland City that hired lots of people, including lots of women, and mother could have worked there. But she chose to sacrifice greatly to stay at home with us. And that's what I wanted to do, too. I can remember very distinctly when our oldest was little, uh, some of the other people we knew were sending their children to nursery school. And I sort of thought I ought to do that. And I'm not condemning anybody who does that, but I tried to do it twice, and I just couldn't do it. I sent him one day to one place, and then I didn't send him back, and then I tried another place, and I tried it one day, and I just couldn't do it. I remember thinking, he's going to be in school, he's going to have all these other people influencing him, and I'm going to keep him at home with me as long as I can, so I can put my values into him before I have to let go and let other people influence him. I think we're all influenced by our childhood to a great degree. Um, that's, that's kind of our pattern of how we think th things ought to be. And I know for me, my home, though not perfect, was the pattern 
for how I thought family ought to be. And I was strongly influenced by that and tried to emulate that when we were rearing children. You know, it's interesting that that in some ways you all had this experience growing up of, of security and, and as you're saying, what you wanted to emulate for your family. But to accomplish that as, as you move forward and you've both talked about your experience and kind of um, the story of how you came to homeschool. But again, to, to, to secure this, you kind of had to do something at the time that might have been viewed as progressive, which was to jump into homeschooling, to do something that a lot of people weren't doing. Both of you have spoken positively of your time in public school as as children. And so how how was it making that leap into homeschooling um, for, for reasons that were, were very um, admirable and yet at the same time doing something that was so different than your experience growing up in the 50s and 60s and actually becoming homeschoolers? It was on one level scary because it was different. We weren't used to that. I wasn't used to that. Um, and yet also it was exciting because we were seeing positive results with our children. And that, that was a good experience for us. I remember thinking that it would be scary for my mom and dad for us to do this. And I remember calling my parents to tell them about our decision. And I said, I know this is scary for you. And my mother said, you know what you're doing, which was one of the most precious sentences my mother ever spoke to me was, you know what you're doing. And knowing that I had her support was just absolutely wonderful and surprising. I thought she'd be scared, but it was wonderful to know that she trusted me. You've both spoken to growing up and, and, and the, the family dynamics that you experience, because every family is obviously different. Um, you know, what, what you do with, when your parents come home from work, what your parents did with their yearly vacation time. Um, how did you all find in, in becoming a couple and, and eventually becoming a family? Um, how did your family dynamic and what you learned lend itself into your expression of homeschooling as a family? My dad went to work, came home. In the evenings, we watched television. On uh, weekends, he would do yard work. On Sunday afternoons, he would uh, take my brother and me on a hike over the in the afternoon. Um, we didn't do a lot of traveling, but from my own experience and from his encouragement, I read a lot of books and. Uh, Books were very important in my in my growing up, um, and we reflected that in our training of our own children. And one of the things, one of the many things that I enjoy now, is talking with our children about what books they're reading, and it's a it's a neat experience to see that that interest continue. My dad encouraged me to read great books. He talked about books that he had read, books that were important to him when he was in school. And um, 
just really wanted me to have that same experience that he had. He had good teachers in school who pointed him toward good literature. And so I took his cue and read several Dickens novels and, and other books that uh, were important to him that became important to me. My dad loved words. He loved to sit and read the dictionary. But books in general were not emphasized in my home. I This will probably sound really sad, and it's very different from the way we reared our own children, but I don't remember anybody ever reading a book to me. Maybe they did. I had a handful, just a tiny Hand, I can really only remember one picture book I had, and my Aunt Dot gave it to me. It was a book about Jesus, a beautifully illustrated book about Jesus, which I still cherish. But as far as somebody reading a book to me, I do not remember it. Not a grandmother, not my mom or dad. But I do remember Daddy enjoying looking at the dictionary. They bought us a set of world books, which was quite an investment, uh, for them, an expensive investment, and I love to pour over those, especially enjoyed looking at the A with all the colored pictures of animals, because most books at that time were black and white, and most of the world books were black and white, but um, the animal one had beautiful color pictures in it. So I, I, I don't have the great book heritage that Ray does, but I do have the go there and do it and be there and see it uh, experience. And so when we began to homeschool our children, um, I brought that desire to go and do and see, and Ray brought the books. And it was a wonderful combination for our children, each of our children, uh, we took each of our children on really super senior trips, and all of them uh, were somehow related to um, things we read. Our uh, youngest daughter, Mary Evelyn, became a great fan of Calvin Coolidge through our um uh, her homeschooling experience, and for her senior trip, we went to uh, his home. And our daughter Bethany, when it was time for her senior trip, we went to the setting of Misty of Chincoteague, and we went to Prince Edward Island because she loved the Anne of Green Gables books. And John was the only one who didn't get to pick where he went on his senior trip, but he had the grandest one. We um, we went to England to meet Ray's mother's relatives the same year that we graduated John from homeschool. I was in ministry, and so we lived on a shoestring. Um, but I got in touch with my mother's brother, actually, he got in touch with me and um, said he wanted to be sure he was right with God. He was in his early 70s and uh, had wandered away, and he wanted to be sure he was okay. And so we said, we need to go now. And so we 
cashed in life insurance after replacing it with other policies and um, saved up and were able to go. And uh, we, we had a great experience because we, we did that. We approached it that way. And while we were there, we went to the Lake District where Beatrix Potter, which had inspired books by Beatrix Potter, we went to uh, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London and saw original drawings by E.H. Shepard that illustrated Winnie the Pooh. We went to one of the homes that Charles Dickens lived in. And, and I want to quickly say that these grand vacations probably... Um, make the listeners think, wow, they sure had lots of money, but that was not the case at all. I had learned how to travel really inexpensively through my mom and dad. On these short vacations, um, they took us great places, but oh, was it ever on a budget. And that is how we learned to um take our children. We took them to 49 states before they got married. I'm sorry, 48 states before they got married. We took. We always told them, we'll do our best to get you to the lower 48 in Alaska and Hawaii. You're on your own. And we made it. Uh, our last state was surprisingly Florida, which is very odd for somebody <laughs> who grew up in Tennessee like Ray and I do, because that is one of the number one vacation spots for Tennesseans. But my childhood influenced our being able to do that because we learned that we didn't need to stay in grand hotels, that we could get by buying uh, maybe all three meals at a grocery store instead of um, someplace grand. And we also learned to live a frugal lifestyle the rest of our lives so that we weren't wasting money on things that were temporary. A drive through a fast food restaurant is temporary. It's fun tonight, but if you save your pennies, you might be able to drive through one in uh, next to Yellowstone National Park instead of down the street. So that was a conscious decision that we made. So great books and great trips. We'll take this opportunity to pause our interview with Ray and Charlene Knockgrass. On the next episode of Exploring History, we'll discuss how Ray and Charlene's childhood experiences led to the decision to form Knockgrass History and their hopes for the children of tomorrow. I'm Titus Anderson. Thank you for exploring history with us today. This has been Exploring History with Ray Knotgrass, a production of Knotgrass History. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, and please leave a rating and review so that we can reach more people with our episodes. If you want to learn about new homeschool resources and opportunities from Knotgrass History, you can sign up for our email newsletter at exploringhistorypodcast.com. This program was produced by me, Titus Anderson. Thanks for listening.